How does one overcome low board scores in match in general surgery? What is the benefit of doing away rotations in your fourth year? What's it like to tie two continuous hand knots while interviewing for residency? How is match day like the NBA draft? Today on Talking Missions of Men's Student Life, I interview Kelly, fourth-year medical student here at the University of Utah School of Medicine who matched in general surgery. Helping you prepare for one of the most rewarding careers in the world. This is Talking Admissions and Med Student Life with your host, the Dean of Admissions at the University of Utah School of Medicine, Dr. Benjamin Chan. Well, welcome to another edition of Talking Admissions and Med Student Life. Got a great guest today, Kelly. Hi. <laughs> Kelly, uh, you are glowing. You just had the match. But I we're did. gonna we're gonna save that for suspense. We're, oh, gonna, okay. we're gonna do a big reveal like oh. in the middle of it. All right. Uh <laughs> But let's kind of talk what you're going into and then work our way backwards. Okay. So, to cut or not to cut? Is that the question? (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, yeah, picking, I ended up picking general surgery um, as my specialty of choice. Um, And did you think prior to med school you'd be a surgeon? No. So, how did you come to this decision? <laughs> so, it was one of the hardest decisions of med school. Um, so, I originally started med school off, and I was kind of open to everything. Mm-hmm. I Initially, when I applied, I thought I was going to do family medicine. And then that changed quickly into pediatrics. And so, I was a part of the EPAC program here that we have at Utah. Mm-hmm. Um, so... If I'd been selected for that, I would have matched into an early residency program here during my fourth year um, and started midway through my fourth year. But luckily, I didn't match. Uh, because so you applied? I applied. I, I didn't know that. I went through the whole process and was gung-ho pediatrics. And then um, I think it was a sign I didn't match. So that was mm. good. So that kept every door open for third year because we applied before we'd even done our clerkships. So yeah, that's during second year. Mm-hmm. So didn't find out. Yeah. We're devastated. I, I was uh, upset. I was upset, okay. but then I was like, maybe this is a sign that peds isn't for okay. me. Okay. So I kind of went into third year with an open mind, which is good. Um, and so I was able to try out each clerkship and really put myself in the moment of, oh, would I do this every day of my life? Mm-hmm. And so I ended up doing my peds rotation like second or third, and I definitely discovered that peds was not for me. What turned you off from peds? Um, kids are filthy, and they're germ infested. Mm-hmm. And so uh, after getting lice and the flu in one week. Oh, you got you got lice and the flu? Yep. Or uh, flice as we like to call it? Yeah, yeah, it was a pretty terrible week there. And mm-hmm. so I was like, nope, this isn't for me because mm-hmm. throughout med school, I've also discovered that um, I've become more germophobic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, uh, all the education I've gotten is yes. just great for mm-hmm. that sense. But uh, so then after peds, I really um, was kind of all over the board. I had internal medicine next and I really liked the variety, internal medicine, and then I did surgery was my next one. And after so middle through your third year. Yeah. Okay. So it was after Christmas break I did surgery. And, and surgery so, has a reputation. Yeah. Right? And Were so, you nervous at all? Or? Oh, I was definitely nervous. Okay. It has that reputation of, you know, being hardcore and terrible hours and everyone's mean and angry. Mm-hmm. And I luckily didn't have that. Um, what team were you on? I Started it off on uh, the breast melanoma and sarcoma team, so the surgical oncology team up at Huntsman. Mm. And I uh, I truly had the best intern, Kevin Bagley. Shout out to Kevin Bagley. Go, Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> um, he was fantastic, and he really showed me um, his passion for surgery. And he was really compelling in the way uh, he kind of thought through the processes of pre-op um, and how he worked with the patients afterwards if there was any complications. And I could just see his love for surgery, and it was kind of infectious. Mm. Um, And then 
I really loved all the surgical oncology cases we did up there. I fell in love with breast surgery, um, and I really liked Dr. Madsen's approach to educating patients and seeing how. Um, what does that approach look like? Yeah. It was. Um, she really took. She took about forty-five minutes at the initial diagnosis um, visit which in comparison to other surgeons is a very long time. Uh, she had like a packet that she would give them and she'd go through and it was kind of like a PowerPoint that she'd printed out. Mm-hmm. And then she'd write down specific things about their diagnosis or their stage. And then she'd send them home with that so they could refresh them on it. And then there was also YouTube links in it and different educational things. And so it was a very educational process and they walked away feeling like they would remember what they talked about because she had them summarize what they learned at the end. Mm-hmm. And then um, she was always available uh, t- like all hours of the day to talk to her patients. And then I was able to see the continuity of her following up with them because they follow up for five years after they've had a mastectomy or a lumpectomy. And so that relationship was really cool because you don't really get a lot of longevity in surgery. Mm-hmm. And so I really liked that part of it. And then after that, I went to, I think I went to Knight's. And so it was trauma nights, mm. and I really liked the suspense of that. You never knew what you were going to get. Mm. Um, and then I did bariatrics for two weeks. Interesting. That These are very different types of surgeries. Very different. And mm-hmm. that, was, eh, that was okay. Not, not my favorite. Not your cup of tea. Um, yeah. It was at a different hospital, so we really just kind of watched them do the surgeries and weren't really a part of it, so that wasn't the best. Mm-hmm. But then I went to the transplant team, mm. and... Uh, if you haven't seen a transplant surgery, you should. It's truly amazing. What kind of organs are we talking about? Um, so I was lucky. I saw um, a child and an adult liver uh, transplant. I saw pancreas and kidney dual transplant. Did you get I on saw... the little plane and fly out? No. So I really tried. So... I've, heard, I've heard stories about this little plane. <laughs> no, but, no. Okay. So I, I was like up at all hours when I was like, if you guys get a, a plane ride, like I want to go. Fly me to Elko. Yeah, I'll go. I would love yes. it. Okay. Um, but we ended up, I went on a, a retrieval um, up in like Ogden. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't too exciting. We drove a car. Okay. <laughs> but um, seeing them harvest organs was very eye-opening because um, they really do just fillet you open and start grabbing. Mm-hmm. So that was interesting. But it was really amazing to see the process of these very, very sick patients come in and have their life completely changed by getting this organ. And mm. basically their whole life was given back to them. And so it was a really gratifying process. They work incredibly hard on the transplant team. Especially pediatrics, especially on kids. Yeah. yeah. That was really, yeah, it was a three month old that mm-hmm. had been waiting since birth to get a, a transplant. And mm-hmm. she was very yellow, mm-hmm. <laughs> but it was, it was just amazing to see they're very skilled surgeons and they, it's very small things. They're anastomosing. So during this time, uh, you're liking surgery more and more. Oh, yeah. And did it start to kind of enter your mind? Did you kind of try oh, yeah. to fight it off? Like, or like, oh, I'm still halfway through third year? Or what did you I do? was like, no, I think this is for me. Because that was around the time that we were, like, everyone had started to nail down, like, what they were doing. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, God. Mm-hmm. And so I remember sitting down with my fiance, and we would make pros and cons lists. And at this point, I was still between surgery, uh, psychiatry, pediatrics, and internal medicine. Mm-hmm. Wide so, variety. Yeah. So everything. I really did love psychiatry. Um, in the end, I... It's okay. You don't need to apologize for psychiatry. No, okay. I really did. And so I... In the end, I almost dual applied to psychiatry and surgery. That would have been fascinating. Are there any combined surgery psych programs? No. <laughs> Kelly, that will be your... that That's your job. That's your manifest destiny to create that in like 10 no, years. No, but okay. I think that there is definitely a need for a psychiatrist dedicated to the transplant team. For who? For both the members of the transplant team, okay, and for, for 
the families and for the patients. Like it's a very weird process to take some, someone else has to die for you to live. Mm. And I feel like that's very draining on the patients and on everyone involved. And so I feel like that is a place where it could be integrated. Especially when you went to Ogden or when you would go out yeah. for a harvest, yeah. would you actually interact with the family? Or no, you, okay. no. It's very um, kind of like... Kind of like a black box in a way. Yeah. You car- compartmentalize. They cover the head. Compartmentalize. It's kind of like anatomy lab. They cover the head and you mm, just kind of start going. And the worst part is like we, we tried to take all these organs from this guy and, you know, we had the other one waiting anxiously here and we're like, we're going to go get your liver. And then we were taking out this guy's liver and it had a spot on it. And so mm. we ended up not being able to transplant this this liver. Just based on a spot? Mm-hmm. Was, it, was there time to send it down to pathology so or does we, it work like we that? We took a punch biopsy and we had someone hurry from Ogden back down here to Huntsman and read it. And it came back as um, angiosarcoma. Mm. So we weren't able to transplant it. And so um, just the letdown. Of, yeah, yeah. And it was and that's the really hard part is it's such a roller coaster on transplant because I mean, they they practically get rolled into the OR and then they're like, oh, never mind. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's a really hard process. But oh, I can't imagine. Yeah. Okay. So psychiatry was on the list. So psychiatry, I loved. That was my first rotation, and I fell in love with that. I loved all the attendings I worked with, and I did both adult and child. And so, and I could also see like the great need that we have for psychiatrists. Mm-hmm. Shout out to you being a psychiatrist. Uh, thank you. <laughs> um, and just how it is very stigmatized in medicine, and I hated that. Um, and it really affects all parts of medicine mm-hmm. and all patients. And so I really loved that, but. My big fear was that I would lose out on a lot of medicine if I went to psychiatry. Mm -hmm. And so... The ubiquitous hanging up your stethoscope kind of phenomenon. Yeah. And that... And the big thing is the procedures. There Mm -hmm. was only like ECT. Mm -hmm. And so that was kind of the big debate because I really did love the procedures of... Like surgery and psych are about as opposite as you can get. Yeah, I would say so. But um, I feel like they both... I don't know. I liked both of them for different reasons. So... So how did you eventually... So like third year winds down. Third year winds You've down. You liked all these rotations. Yeah. So I was able to How narrow did you out come to your pediatrics because okay. of lice, and then I was able to <laughs> narrow out internal. medicine. I feel like we need to talk about this, but we'll, we'll maybe oh, get to God, it later. It was okay. So gross. And then I narrowed out um, internal medicine because after doing surgery rounds, um, I realized that internal medicine rounds are excruciatingly long, mm-hmm. and um, they're known lots, for that. Yeah. Lots of talking. A lot of thinking. Not a lot contemplating. of contemplating. Not a lot of doing. I kind of felt like a cruise director on internal medicine, like getting everyone together and organized and then shipping them off. And so that mm-hmm. wasn't, that didn't do it for me. And mm-hmm. so I was between psych and surgery. Um, I went to Stevenson and I was like, how did you decide? And, you know, we talked it through and he was like, I think, I think psychiatry is for you. And then all of a sudden I was like, nope, I think surgery is for me. <laughs> and so, um, so I concluded with surgery and then, um, I realized with my step score that I would definitely, um, the big thing with all this decision is my step score was not the highest. Um, I really struggled with testing all throughout med school and um, especially on the step tests because mm-hmm. um, I have severe test anxiety. And so my score definitely does not reflect my best work mm-hmm. or maybe it does, but it just doesn't reflect the knowledge that I have. I don't test well. And so it was a big disadvantage for me. And um, when you go to apply to different residencies, psych has lower qualifications than say ophthalmology or dermatology like they are okay mm-hmm. with any step score because they look at the person it's a stratified system yeah there are people that can kind of break it up and down, yeah but it's it's hard every really specialty hard. looks for different things but yeah. one thing in general surgery is they look for a board score of 230 mm-hmm. which i was nowhere close to and so a lot of schools either choose that um 
they either have a cutoff of 200 or 230. And so, um, that, was one of those moments where I had to realize like I wouldn't I was told by some people that I would never be able to get into an academic program Mm -hmm. um, that I would have to do a community general surgery program and that it probably wouldn't be very prestigious and that I'd probably have to do a prelim year before I did categorical um, and then reapply after one year internship in gen surge and so that was kind of that kind of sucked to hear. Yeah, um, <laughs> sounds kind of daunting when it's kind of yeah, and so, phrased like that. And yeah. then they were also like, you might want to think about doing away rotations during fourth year because an away rotation, you go to that school and you're basically trying out for 28 days. It's an audition. Yeah. They and know you, you get to know them. You yeah. really bust your butt and um, <laughs> you live in the hospital and it's okay because you have nothing else there to distract you. So that was kind of nice. And so I had to start arranging my away rotations in um, third year. And luckily I was able to do that. And I think that was one of the, my favorite parts of fourth year was my away rotations. How many away rotations did you do? I did two back to back. Um, where at? Yeah. So I, I took neurology in my fourth year because I had delayed step one to get more time. Mm -hmm. Um, so I did my neurology rotation and then I did my step two test and then I did, um, I had a weekend off, which I did my bachelorette party in, and then I started on uh, my gen search sub-I here at Utah, and then I went away, and I did one sub-I down at University of Arizona in Phoenix, Mm -hmm. and then I flew from that one to uh, Pennsylvania, where I did my other rotation at York Hospital in York, Pennsylvania, Mm -hmm. and then I came home. Okay. So, essentially, you did a surgery rotation in three locations. Yeah, I did three gen search sub-I's. Pretty different hospitals. Very different hospitals. Different cultures. Oh, very different. Without naming names. Just what Mm -hmm. were the differences that you saw? So one thing that I was able to appreciate um, by doing a ways is the education that I received here at Utah. I was able to kind of compare myself to – because I feel like when you're on a rotation here at Utah, you're comparing yourself to classmates at times. Like, oh, like are my presentation skills up to par with someone in my class? Mm -hmm. And usually we're all at the same level here. But on away rotations, I was able to appreciate that I had learned well here, I guess, um, and been taught how to present well and write notes and how to be professional. Because you're around other medical students, yeah, probably so, at these home institutions. Maybe some yeah, some at their home institutions, but a lot were visiting fourth years as well. And mm-hmm. so just the way they kind of presented themselves, like I had this one kid that came from Texas to University of Arizona, and he was... <laughs> He decided that he was just going to live in a hotel for a month, which is very expensive. Mm -hmm. And that just makes you seem kind of stupid Mm -hmm. to anyone when you're like, oh, I'm just going to wing it and live in a hotel for a month. And we were all just like, what is wrong with this kid? Mm -hmm. And then he would show up to rounds like three hours late. Some days we didn't even know if he was coming in. He did. That's not a good way to audition. That's not a good way to audition. It was terrible. And then he would be telling us like, oh, I don't even know if medicine's what I want to do. And we were just like, bro, like, this is fourth year. Like, how have you gotten this far? Like, and so, you know, he kind of made me stand out and shine, which was great. I really appreciated it. I was like, you can stay around, bro. This is fun. My star shines much brighter. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, our attending didn't even know we had another fourth year on the team. That Mm. was the embarrassing part. But so that was good. And I was also able to see how different departments work. So University of Utah is very academic and University of Arizona. And what does that mean for people? Oh, so academic. um, So it's very much a research oriented hospital. Um, People work uh, very hard, both in and out of the OR and 
usually uh, you have more complex cases in an academic center because people are being flown in from other places. Uh, so the surgeries might be longer and more complex. Um, you have different, so you have fellows and you have residents um, and you have attendings. And so you just have this much bigger teams. Um, the caseload can be a little larger here. And uh, the environment of an academic center is more intense than, say, a community center. Um, so University of Arizona was combined. It was it had just transitioned into University of Arizona Phoenix the year before. Um, it had been a community program banner, Good Samaritan. Yeah, good old, yeah banner, Good Sam. Yeah. yeah, so it was it was Good Sam for years, and so it was this very well community pro, very well known community program, and so it just started getting university affiliated. So they didn't have as much established research at that time. They were trying to get people on board for research. Um, but they didn't have fellows. So you were able, the residents were able to get into a lot of the complex cases and mm-hmm. be a kind of first man on the surgery, whereas at academic centers, residents are usually at the bottom of the table because mm-hmm. the fellows are above them. And so uh, they were able to, at a earlier stage in their training, get into more complex cases. But they still had your bread and butter surgery. That's Mm -hmm. what community programs usually have. So bread and butter surgery is like your gallbladder removal, your appendix removal, uh, taking out your colon. If you have colon cancer, those kind of things. So if you audition, you do these away rotations, are you kind of guaranteed like an interview at least at those places? No. So I, I would have thought that you would have been because you've like, yeah, so let's jump forward. So, all right. So you're nervous about, you know, your prospects decided yeah. to do a couple of way rotations. Mm-hmm. How many programs did you apply to? And oh, yeah. How many, how much did that cost? Oh, Lord. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, how many interview offers did you get? What did that look like? Yeah. So, um, so I ended up uh, applying to 83 programs. Okay. Uh, to put that in perspective, some people in my class who are applying to family medicine only applied to 10 programs. Um, so there's 153, I think, gen search programs, and I applied to 83 based on all of them taking my step score. Mm-hmm. So I didn't apply to any programs I knew I couldn't – I knew that would be the first cutoff. Mm-hmm. I didn't waste my money. So that cost – oh, God. Um, uh, I want to say like three grand or so okay. just for like putting in the application. Just checking the boxes. Just checking the, the boxes. The Amazon checkout bin, the yeah. cart just grows bigger and bigger. Which okay. is like, whoa. But okay. then, you know, when you do away rotations, you have to pay for your housing there and, and all your food there. So mm-hmm. away rotations cost me about $4,000. Mm-hmm. Um, I was luckily in my second away rotation able to live in a call room, which I was... <laughs> <laughs> Which I did would that never... happen accidentally or did you oh, set it up like no, that? No, so I set it up and it was... Or did you just move from call room to call room in the hospital? Oh, no, no, no I had a designated call room. Oh, okay. I thought it you were was... just... Okay. Because oh, I've heard of med students doing that. No, no. <laughs> this was a designated uh, glorious call room. It... For a month. For a month. It... Okay. At one point on that rotation, I realized I hadn't gone outside in five days Ooh. because I'd just been taking the tunnel from the call room to the hospital. So... um that was fun. Was it like, did you have to share it? Are we talking like bunk beds? It was or? kind of like, I kind of like embraced it as a camp experience. Okay. It was, um, cause it's cheap. Oh, it was free. Okay. Free. Um, okay. so it was like, if you've ever been to like a soccer camp or a lacrosse camp, it was kind of like that basic dorm room where you have like the desk that's already in place and the bed in the closet. And then bathroom? I thought that there would be – it was community bathroom, so like the, the stall showers. This is so old school. I oh, love it. it was so – Was there even a TV in the room or uh, – No. Luxury. No, yeah. no. That was too much. Um, okay. So <laughs> – 
but it, it was an experience. I, I lived uh, out of a microwave for a month, so okay. I got very good at microwave no cooking. No hot plates? No hot plates. Okay. I thought there would be a stove. There was not. There was not. Um, so that was very eye-opening. But okay. anyways, so I paid about four grand for all my aways. Um, and then for interviews, so I of the 83 programs, I ended up getting eight interviews. Okay. Which is pretty um, low in mm-hmm. comparison to – so my goal was to get 12 interviews, but mm-hmm. I got eight. Um, in my application process, I applied to, I want to say, 75 categorical. So those are five-year programs and about 10 prelim programs. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a one-year program. And some of my programs I applied – I do will apply to both a prelim and a categorical. Mm-hmm. So of my eight that I um, got interviews at – Four of them, I had dual applied, prelim, and categorical. So I was able to rank 12 programs. Cool. So that gave me my magic number. Now, with a lower number, did that put more pressure on yourself when you went out to interview? Oh, yeah. I had to be like on my game. Your A game. Yeah. Yeah. And so one thing that – one skill I've acquired um, through undergrad is my ability to interview. Um, So I was – I knew if I could just get to the interview, I could impress them because mm-hmm. um, I don't look very impressive on paper. And so this is where the importance of the oh, interview. Oh, Kelly, you're self-doubting yourself. I know. Okay. Um, but I, I can interview. And okay. so that was one thing. I was like, if I can just get in the door, that's what I need. And so um, one thing that I'm always amazed by is when people come to interviews and they're not prepared, um, whether that's the way they dressed or the way they've presented themselves. Um so when so you, what'd you see out there? So, and these could be some, good interview tips for people applying yeah, to med school. So I mean, this is totally applicable, program. and I love being part of the admissions class during fourth year because yeah. I was able to see, I was able to be an interviewer, mm-hmm. and so that gave me some insight into what we do when we're interviewing that may be construed as weird to mm-hmm. the interviewee or to the interviewer, and so. I noticed when I was interviewing people, if they played with their hair, I found that very distracting. Or if they said, um, a lot. And so I used those tips from me interviewing someone else in my own interviews. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, as I say, um. Uh, <laughs> it's very ironic. Yeah. I know. Okay. Uh, so I realized that when I, I got there that some people, not everyone wears suits, which I find to be incredibly weird. And mm-hmm. you need to wear suits. Uh, some girls... One thing that if you're especially in surgery, it's not true in every specialty, but uh, you need to wear pantyhose. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just a professional sign of respect. And I was not aware of this. I'm glad we're talking about this. Yes. Yeah. And not like some women wear like very dark colored skin pantyhose, but like go with your normal color skin. Mm-hmm. Like you don't want to look like you have like been very tanned on your legs, but you're a white person, mm-hmm. you know? And, and so that's one thing not a lot of girls did. Some girls would wear shoes that they've never walked in. And that's one thing that I always found weird. Or some girls would wear like the stripper boots where like, they're like knee high boots. I don't with know a, anything about strippers or boots. So well, please go on. It's one that you can imagine. It's one that's like a knee high boot with like a stiletto okay. heel. Okay. And that's a not appropriate for an, a professional interview. You need like, so I did not, I'm not a surgeon, but okay. I imagine general surgery interviews you Intense. know, the attendings are in between surgeries. They might be in scrubs. No. They're, they're, are they kind of more to the point? And- um, that's general surgery style. Okay. Um, so no no one was ever in between surgeries. Okay. So they, they usually designate the, it as like an interview day. So at the different places I interviewed out, some one I did on a Saturday. And so they had all their attendings come in just oh. for the interviews. And so 
that showed a lot to me because that was a program that was very dedicated to interview day. And I mean, you're coming in on your day off to interview people. I think it says a lot, but a lot of, um, they are more general surgery interviews in general are very intense. They're not like just hanging out and seeing if we kind of jive Did you ever walk in and there was like a little pig's feet with like an incision in it and they said, so I never had that up. I never had to sew. Show me your style. They did hand me, um, like a suture one to tie and I had to do continuous two hand knots throughout my entire um, interview without stopping. So, so I had to be talking and tying knots that's, on that's a, different. a chair. So that was interesting. Did you hear about that ahead of time? Or was that, did that I had because that was at the hospital. That was at York hospital. Okay. Ooh, sorry to give away your secrets. Okay. Um, that was at the hospital. I had done my away rotation at. And so they had, the residents had been like, hey, Kelly, you should practice this. Hint, hint. Okay. And so they ended up finding out in my interview. They're like, did anyone tell you about this? And I was like, yes. <laughs> well, can't they just ask to do a different knot or is that – I don't know. No. Okay. So they were just like, oh, we're, they're not supposed to tell you, but it's okay. And so then I That's just did intense. my yeah. yeah. So I had to do that. And other ones – I mean just the kind of questions they ask you in general. So – Compared to my friends who did like peds and family, they are just more like seeing if your personalities kind of jive. But Mm -hmm. like general surgery, one guy, I walked in and I had the folder was on my desk and he goes, all right, so I didn't read this. So tell me everything I need to know about you in five minutes. Go. Mm. And I was just like, whew. Maybe we should do that here. I would (laughs) not recommend it. It was very intense and it was kind of. It's annoying in the sense that, like, I have flown all this way for this interview, and this is very important to me, and you didn't even bother to read my file. So that was frustrating because some interviews you could tell very much. Like, one interview I thought they didn't read my file, and I was kind of like, ugh. But then all of a sudden he was like, oh, so tell me about your dog Franklin. And I was like, whoa. So he had read every detail of my file to find that. He was playing dumb. Yeah, Yeah, and so that was really interesting. But uh, definitely knowing your application is crucial. I mm-hmm. mean, if you put stuff down there that you can't talk about or your research that you can't talk about. Yeah. We tell people Holy if crap. you put it, you put it in your application, it's fair game. Yeah. yeah. So. And like, it's amazing. Cause like some people just like lose it. They're like, oh, I didn't even think they'd bring that up. And it's like, obviously they'd bring that up, but you wrote about it. You put it in there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so definitely also being able to talk about your personal statement. Um, so I wrote about, so during undergrad, I was a wildland firefighter for five years. Mm-hmm. And so, they ate that up in surgery. They loved that mm-hmm. because I was able to say that like, I'd work in a male dominated field and hardworking mm-hmm. environments and that I, you know, could work with other people. And so I had a lot of applications. And so that they, I knew they were going to talk about it. So I kind of had my spleel ready mm-hmm. to go on that. Um, so again, you open the door, male dominated mm-hmm. field, the lifestyle mm-hmm. of a general surgeon kind of has this certain connotation. Mm-hmm. When you went out and interviewed at these different programs, did you look for uh, female attendings? Yeah. And to so, tell, tell me about that. Like, so they always give you – well, most programs, at least the ones I interviewed out, give you like a, like a sheet. And on the sheet, it has like every resident's picture or resident's mm-hmm. name. So you can tell like, oh – I mean most programs are like 40, 60, 60% male, 40% women. Okay. But then they also give you a faculty paper with the faculty sheet on it. And so, I mean, one program I interviewed out was 100% male. Mm. And so I definitely asked about that. I was like, so I noticed that there's no female in your faculty positions of authority. Like, how has this come to be? Is there any plans to change that? And so that's important to me because I don't know why you would just have only males leading the program. And then you can probably look up and see the senior classes and see how many residents are male and female. And Mm -hmm. and, because like that – I mean, that goes into deeper issues of parental leave and lifestyle. I mean, so mm-hmm. there's the, those are kind of those things that... And women as a coming res- into yeah. surgery, it's 
it's becoming more common, thank God, and mm. it's becoming more acceptable. Um, it w- used to be super hard for a female to make it all the way through residency. I had one of my attendings down at University of Arizona. He told me he started, I think, with a class of 15 in his intern year, and three of them graduated. And the first woman that had ever graduated uh, from their general surgery program was in his class. Mm. But the others had all been flushed out. So, and that's a big thing. Like they used to flush. So they used to accept like nine interns into general surgery residencies. And then with the hope of narrowing it down to four, yeah. like a pyramidal you, scheme. Yeah. The, the pyramid right. model. General surgery was notorious for clinging. Yeah. To, they're the last discipline that yeah. really cling to that model. So now that's very yeah. not allowed. Yeah. Thank God. <laughs> yeah. So once you're in, you should probably finish. Yeah. Um, but so that's definitely something. Cause when you talk to older female surgeons, you kind of get that oh, we went through a lot more than you're having to go through now Mm -hmm. kind of mentality. But it is good to see that the more surgery women are getting into faculty positions and becoming leaders in the surgery departments. Um, uh, It's rare to have a female chair. I don't think I saw that while I was out. I only saw male chairs of surgery departments. Mm -hmm. And I don't – all of the program directors were male as well. So – Kind of jumping off that, but you know, as you made your rank list, mm-hmm. and you're now married. Yes, I got married in the middle of interview season. Congratulations! I would not recommend that. <laughs> but as you kind of create your next chapter in your life, because uh-huh. general surgery is five years long, right? Five to seven. Five to some seven. Some require two years of mandatory research mandatory or research. highly recommended. Pick up that research. MPH. Yes. Uh, how? Like, what do you? How? What advice would you give people whose spouse is not in medicine? Mm. And how did you kind of talk about this rank list? Because, yeah. you, you, you know, he needs to find a job. Yeah. So, like, how does that happen? Like, Yeah, like, so my husband, uh, Stephen, like? he's not in um, medicine. He, mm-hmm. When I was interviewing, he was in uh, internet marketing. And so I was able to tell places, because that's one thing they, they're not supposed to ask you, but they ask you, like, oh, who will be traveling with you here? Mm-hmm. Um and then they ask, oh, will their job impede them from coming here or will impede you from coming here? And so luckily his job was very transferable at that point. But since then, he's gotten a job as an insurance underwriter. Mm. Um, and his hope is uh, to be able to transfer that job to our new home, which we're waiting to reveal. I know. A few more minutes. <laughs> yeah, people are just dying to know. Where does um, this Kelligan end up? Where yes. do I need to go to get my gallbladder out? Yeah. yeah. Um, so that was definitely um, a consideration is – I wanted him to be in a place that he could find a job, but also a place that he would be happy living. Mm-hmm. So of the places that I applied to, the states were that I interviewed at were Arizona, Texas, Pennsylvania, Iowa, Missouri, and uh, missing one. Did you get an interview here? I did not. Okay. No courtesy interview for their own grads, huh? Nope. Okay. Um, and if people um, can see your face right now, it's a very Cheshire cat. Yeah. Yeah. So I uh, didn't get that. Okay. But, uh, so of those states, I knew that my – oh, and South Dakota. Mm-hmm. And so I knew my husband would have a harder job, a harder time finding a job in like Texas and South Dakota. and But he was really good in the sense that after any, every interview, I'd call him and I'd give him the pros or cons list and he'd kind of meld that over. And then I would definitely write down what I liked about the program. Did he go out with you on any interviews? No, or, okay. he didn't. What, were the spouses ever invited? So they I, know, were, I know some programs do that. Yeah. Yeah, and so some like definitely recommended that they come for – um, the social the night before, so you have like a cocktail and uh, mm-hmm. a dinner the night before, and then you have your interview the next day, and so that's a good time to bring your spouse. But logistically, it's very expensive mm-hmm. to interview as just one person, but then bring another person along. And then um, the disadvantage from Utah is 
we're not like the East Coast where you can just drive to all your interviews. Like, mm-hmm. you definitely have to fly to all of them here. And so it's just way more expensive. So we didn't do that. Um, but I don't think that hurt my chances at all or kept him from, like, we're going to go see our new home soon. Mm-hmm. But um, so we were able to sit down, and I had him make a rank list and me rank, make a rank list, and then we compared. The big reveal. Yeah. And they um, were no, completely no. opposite. So they no. were, there was a few that were similar. Okay. And then there was like, he was like, you've never talked about this program. Like, why is it so high on your list? And I was like, oh, that's true. It's one more thing for a married couple to argue over. Yeah. <laughs> and so we like, we, we kind of shifted the list. And I played this game with my family as well. Yeah. Like, where do you see me going after yeah. I told you about these programs? It's stressful. I've talked to a lot to- of yeah. classmates already. And it's, and there's a, the amount of stress and thought that goes into this rank list yeah. is a it's a lot of work. And yeah. I really thought, like, the places that I interviewed at, like, South Dakota came out of the blue for me. Like, I absolutely loved their program. And, like, I had, when I got all my interviews, I was like, oh, like, I could go here, here, and here. And I was like, oh, God, South Dakota? Mm-hmm. But then I fell in love with South Dakota. And I was like, where did that come from? Hashtag so, South Dakota's great. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and so, I mean, their program was so impressive. And mm-hmm. I was like, well, that just went way up my list. Yeah. And then, then you kind of weigh things out and you're, you know, you have to balance – so I had a few that were academic, and then I had a few that were community. So I had to decide what kind of surgeon I wanted mm-hmm. to be, what type of fellowships I would be. But my biggest one, like decisions, came down to where did I kind of work well with the residents? I mean, mm-hmm. it's a very short interview process, but like, where could I see me communicating well with these people? And then another one was where did this program take these people? So, you know, did they have to go do a fellowship so they could operate? Because sometimes. That's a problem with academic centers is you – because everyone else is above you, you don't get as much time operating as you would at a community program where you start operating on day one. Mm-hmm. And then other things were like if they were passing boards at the end of it, if they were you know, getting enough caseloads. And so I kind of weighed all these different options, and I, I came up with my list. Do I want me to – Sure. So um, – well – We're almost out of time, but this is going really good, Kelly. So I want to talk about leading up to match day. Yeah. Did you sleep the night before? So for me, yeah, I did. So the worst part is, so you put in your list and then you have these like three agonizing weeks of just like, oh God, because the computer needs that much time, which is just (laughs) BS because it could probably be run in 20 minutes, nine times. And then we could find out the next day, but waiting three weeks is just like, we can put a person on the moon. Oh my God. It was just like the agony they love to induce on us. And so then, (laughs) so then, um, the Monday of match week, you get an email. If you matched. Yeah, so you can get three flavors of it. You can get congratulations, you matched. So that means you match into a categorical or a five or whatever, mm-hmm. a full-length program. One can be like congratulations, you matched into a prelim program. So that's a one-year program. Or congratulations, uh, you matched into both a prelim and a categorical. So say if you're doing radiology, you have to do one year of medicine or one year of surgery, and then you go on to radiology. I think there's a fourth flavor that you don't want. And then the final one is, yeah. so sorry, you didn't make it. Um, Please. I don't, yeah. yeah, so it's please says, contact your student affairs office immediately. Like yeah. immediately. And yeah. so, you know, I was super based on everything. I was very worried that I wouldn't match anywhere. Because um, low number of interviews. Low number of interviews. Board scores were not as high as you wanted. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so But you did interview well. I did interview exchanged well. Exchanged love like, letters with oh all the program. Oh my god, I played the game hard. Yeah. I probably I sent out handwritten thank you notes to every person I talked to. On Kelly Stationery. Yeah, and then followed I up by a nice little email. Followed up by a week later, being like, "In case you didn't get my thank you note," and I. It really him. is a weird, bizarre courtship process. Oh, and yeah. then I sent love letters, and mm-hmm. so I probably sent one night on nights. I probably sent 120 emails out, mm-hmm. and so I played the game pretty hard. We emailed every single person at the program. Every single person I talked to oh, okay. on my interview day, okay. whether that was the 
yeah, so a lot of people. Okay. Um, That's impressive. It was a lot of okay. work, but um, so I played the game hard. And then, so I was really nervous that Sunday night going into Monday. It was terrible. Um, I actually had a dream that one of my classmates, Cassie, like I'd gotten an email and it said I'd match. And then Cassie was like, Kelly, you didn't actually match. You're one of 10 that didn't actually match. And we like fell to the floor crying. And that was like the dream I woke up to on that email day. And I was like, oh, God. But my husband went off to work. My mom came over and we were like sitting there. And I was like, okay, we just got to look. We just got to look at the email. And we refreshed it. And all of a sudden it pops up and it's the weirdest email format because it it's says, a very form letter looking. Yeah. Yeah. It looks like highly, spam, it looks like spam mail. Highly impersonal. And then it goes in the subject line. It goes, did you match question mark? And you're just like, really? <laughs> and so I was like, oh, like this, because they sent the NRMP. Focus groups have shown if you put that in the subject line, people are going to No, but click on. <laughs> I literally thought it was like one of those spam letters because they send us like emails all the time like, oh, we're out of the office this day. And mm-hmm. so they sent one and it was like, did you match? So I click on it and it's like, congratulations, you matched. And I was like, oh, this must be fake. Like this isn't the real email. Like I'm going to email Dr. Stevenson. And my mom's like, Kelly, just take a second. I think this means you matched. And mm-hmm. I was like, so I had to refresh it like four times and like check. And then I screenshotted it to a few friends. And I was like, did yours look like this? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Is this fake? And so then I was like, oh my God, like I actually matched and I matched into a five-year program. So I was like, I was out of the moon that day. Like, it, mm-hmm. I was so happy, and I was just like, I don't care where it is. I'm just so glad I matched, and I matched in a five-year program, so I don't have to do this stupid process again. Mm-hmm. And so then um, then it's, like, the weirdest week because you're just like, where's the world going to send me? Yeah. And it's such a weird – It's I was trying to compare it to other things. Like, it's not like the military draft. It's kind of like the NBA draft or, like, a college draft where, like, you don't know where you're moving. You find out you got drafted, but you don't know about Yeah, who. and it's like – You the find out you get married, but you don't know who your partner yeah, is. Yeah, it's, like, so stupid. And so then going into match day, like, I was just super excited, and I just wanted to know. And I'd kind of – like, the week of – is submitting my list, I changed a few programs. I shifted them around because I was like, you know, if I get into, so I was like, if I get into York, I would have always wondered if I could have gotten into Penn State. Mm-hmm. And so I, you know, at the last minute, I switched Penn State a little higher. I still had uh, my first few programs were Iowa and then University of Arizona and then Penn State and then York. And so I was like, you know, and then South Dakota. And I was like, if I match in any of those programs, I'll be like so happy. Like mm-hmm. I loved all of them. They'd be great to go to. But I had a feeling. I just had a gut feeling we were going to Pennsylvania, so either York or Penn State. And so, and then the day of match day, like Vivian Lee keeps talking and talking. I mean, she only talked for 15 minutes. She was stalling. But dear God, those 15 minutes are like Legally, we can't let let you touch the envelope until 10. And then she was like trying to cut the ribbon and her scissors were dull and we were just like, ah! And then we finally got through and I got my letter. You and opened it? I opened it. Did and you I, walk back to your family? You opened it right then. So I opened uh, – so me and uh, my friends Cassie and Jake, they are both going into orthosurgery. There's a great surgery. picture in the Salt Lake Tribune. Yes. yes. Um, so we it, decided yeah. that we were all going to open our letters near the front together with our family so that we could tell each other right away where we'd gone. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I waited for my family to come up, and then I opened my letter, and all of a sudden I realized that I'd gotten into Penn State. Congratulations. Yes. And so I was like totally and completely shocked, which is evident in my video. I'm mm-hmm. like squealing. Mm-hmm. I was just like, I really never in my wildest dreams thought I could have gotten into such a prestigious program. And I was like, this has to be a mistake. Initially, like mm-hmm. women have imposter syndrome, so they go there. But then, you know, I was just like totally freaked out, which you can see in all the photos. I'm like mm-hmm. smiling like a five-year-old. Um, but then one of the guys that I'd interviewed with, like emailed me like 20 minutes after we opened our envelopes and he, he'll be my chief resident there. And he's, 
uh, great guy. And he was like, congratulations on matching. Like, I really wanted you to come here. And I was just like, oh, my God, like, this is real. Mm-hmm. And then when they posted on their Facebook page, they're like, congrats to our new interns. And they posted the five pictures of us. And I was luckily still on there. There's and only so, five of you? Yeah. It's a small program. It's a small program. So they have five categorical and nine prelim. Okay. So that was amazing. But definitely one of the best moments of the whole process was telling my letter writers um, because they're kind of like your secret cheerleaders. They're kind of behind the scenes. And you don't know what they write about you. You hope mm-hmm. it's good. Um, and so the other day I went and I told one of my letter writers, Dr. Eckhauser. He's a pediatric cardiothoracic surgeon at primaries that I'd rotated with. And I, he was like, do we need to sit down for this? It's like good news, bad news. And I was like, oh, it's great news. And so I told him and he was just like so happy and like it looked like he had tears in his eyes. And he was like telling all of the, like the other surgeons around him. And it's one of those moments. It was very humbling because it really does take you a village to get to where mm-hmm. you get into residency. And it's definitely not a process you've done alone. And your success is based on those around you supporting you. So uh, thanks to all my letter writers and all my family that supported me. I couldn't be here without you. But um it's just quite the crazy week. Yeah. And how does it feel to be in Utah for the next two, three months? Oh, God. Like, so, so physically you're here, but mentally you're oh, out there. yeah. And so, you know, after like 30 hours of celebrating, I was like – Buying just, a lot of Penn State paraphernalia. Oh, I haven't bought any yet. Okay. It's coming. But then I was like – I just turned to my husband and I was like, oh, my God. Like we have to move to Pennsylvania. And he was like, Kelly, you've only been happy for 30 hours. Like mm-hmm. let it live a little longer. And yeah. I was like – and it just hits you. And so that's what this week, like all of me and my classmates are texting each other and we're like, what are the best moving services to move cross country? Like what day do you start? What do you, and then you're like, oh God, do I need to study before I go? But everyone's told me it's pointless because you're going to be stupid. So that's fine. Mm. Probably not going to waste time studying, but it's just a lot of logistical issues. Like, do you buy a house? What are mortgages? Just signing contracts. Oh God. Did they send you the contract in the mail? They've sent me some... It's like a multi-page document. It's, yeah. It's, it's, it's no, it's I don't incredible. think they sent me that one yet. Yeah. But, you know, they... If, if, oh, I remember when I got my contract in the mail, I was like, oh my gosh, this is very official looking. Oh, yeah. And I've never signed anything like that before. Yeah. So. And it's basically like you're ours. Yeah. Well, it's a year-to-year contract. It, the program ha- always has an out. Okay. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so... And another big thing with Penn State is... So it's one that highly recommends two years of research. So I'll be there for seven years. And so that was one thing that I was like, oh, God, that's a really long time. 2024, baby. Oh, Woo! my God, that's so long. And so it's like, you know, by that point, like, I'll probably have a few kids by the time I graduate. And then I have to start thinking about kids. And it's just like, oh, it's like the real world hit me this last week. So mm-hmm. we bit overwhelming, but we're working on it. We're, we'll get there. Okay. Yeah. So I'm just super excited I matched and... We'll see where Penn State takes me. Yeah. Kelly, I'm really excited for you. I remember – so, like, I've been saying this to a lot of people, but you're my babies. Like, you were the yes. first class that I welcomed. And he was and, so cute about it. And he I was just, so excited for us. Yeah, and, like, just to watch you guys grow, uh, you know, during the past four years. Now you guys are matched, and you're kind of launching into your own careers yeah. and these different paths. and. Yeah, I remember the firefighting. And didn't you do, like, I think you were involved like, some women's health projects or crisis um, line stuff? So or? I was an adjunct chaplain at Primary Children's for a long time. And then I was yeah. um, a crisis line That's it. manager at the Rape Recovery Center. Yeah, I remember this stuff. So, yeah. yeah and uh, and I got in my Facebook yesterday, it popped up as, like, my memory that I you'd called me yesterday, mm-hmm. four years ago. Um with the lovely phone call telling me that I'd gotten into the U. And that was one of the best days of my life. For and sure. now you're going to be a surgeon out in yeah. Pennsylvania. I mean, it just, it's, I, nuts. it's beautiful. So it seems not that long ago, but it seems like a lifetime ago. Time goes by quickly. It so. does. Well, Kelly, thank you for coming on. Uh, if you're back here in seven years and I'm still around, <laughs> 
I want to hear a follow-up, you know, because I hope you come back and practice one day. But I definitely, this is home. I want to come home. Well, statistically, you're, I don't know, well, you're from here, but, you know, you're, you're going to get a lot of job opportunities. Yeah. I mean, you talk about you audition. see, I might do some fellowships. If I go into pediatric yeah. cardiothoracic, that's another six years of fellowships. <laughs> it never ends. Seven years. It never ends. I'll be a PGY-13. Oh, but it's okay. It's glorious. It's glorious. Yeah, I might be up to $75,000 a year. Yeah, yeah. For those of you who don't know, all, it's a very communist system. All residents make roughly the same amount of money. Which is nothing. And then... <laughs> Every year, PJOY means postgraduate year. You make a little bit more, like so, a thousand, yeah, or so. Yeah. So cool. Well, Kelly, I'm so happy for you. Congratulations! Thank you, Thank you for coming on the pod. Thanks for listening to Talking Admissions and Med Student Life with Dr. Benjamin Chan, the ultimate resource to help you on your journey to and through medical school. A production of the Scope Health Sciences Radio, online at thescoperadio.com.